Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3 MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Patno, W3MVP. Thanks for joining us for So Now What? a podcast for people who are relatively new to amateur radio and who are excited and curious to discover all that it has to offer. Here with me is co-host Joe Karsha and J1Q. Hi, Michelle, and welcome to all of our podcast listeners. This episode will focus on Saturn's involvement in hurricane season using amateur radio. And on the phone with us, we have Bill Feast, WB8BZH, Whiskey Bravo Zulu Hotel, and he is a volunteer with Saturn. So before we get into it, um, Bill, if we can turn the mic over to you, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit more about Saturn and what you do with Saturn, that would be great. As was said, my name is Bill Feast, WB8BZH. I've been a licensed amateur now for almost 51 years and been involved in emergency uh, communications in one way or another for almost that entire time. I am the former uh, national Saturn liaison, and uh, I'm currently a volunteer. I have uh, I was an employee with the uh, Salvation Army for uh, 21 years and a volunteer uh, with them for uh, five years uh, prior to that. So I, I've got uh, some pretty good experience with the Salvation Army. And I'm also a uh, certified emergency manager through the International Association of Emergency Management. My profession has been emergency management for uh, quite a while now. Okay, great. Thank you. So today's episode is all about hurricanes. We're getting into the hurricane season. Actually, we are in hurricane season right now. (laughs) We're past past getting into it. We're past getting into it. (laughs) And in fact, at, at... this recording, we've already had one, Hurricane Barry. And right. um, so we want to discuss what amateur radio's role is, and obviously where Saturn's role is, with regard to amateur radio and hurricanes. We'd like to start off by asking a few questions, if we will. So the first one we have, could you start by describing the role that the Salvation Army plays in emergency relief situations? Well, the Salvation Army's uh, primary and immediate response to emergencies and disasters of of any kind, tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, um, whatever it might be, uh, is to provide food, hydration, and emotional and spiritual care to both survivors and to first responders. Following that initial response phase, uh, and depending upon the resources available, we might follow that up with a mass distribution of donated or purchased product and emergency assistance in the form of financial aid or vouchers. And then depending upon the nature and the magnitude of the disaster, and again, as well as the financial resources available, 
we may also participate in the recovery phase. Um, the kind of assistance that we would provide in recovery uh, can vary greatly depending upon the needs of the community and the situation. But uh, we're always there doing the feeding and the emotional and spiritual care and the uh, hydration for uh, survivors and for um, first responders. That, that we always do. I'm going to add a question to that. And, uh, and as a person who always donates to the Salvation Army, especially during Christmas, it's, I'm curious too. So you mentioned that there is um, some financial work involved with getting these supplies and this assistance out. Do the contributions that individuals make to the Salvation Army, especially during Christmas time, is any of that usually allocated to Saturn? Or does funding come completely from a different source? No. uh, Well, for Saturn, Saturn is a part of the Emergency Disaster Services Program. And its funding uh, comes primarily from uh, donations made uh, during disasters. Christmas is uh, the Christmas and the uh, cattle campaign is strictly a local effort for each of the local Salvation Army units. 100% of that money goes to the local units to help fund their local programming uh, throughout the United States. Um, the Salvation Army has a presence of some sort in all 3,007 counties in the United States. And uh, we have local programming that goes on uh, in all of those in all of those counties, and the, the um, cattle campaign supports those programs. All right, thank you. Hi, Bill. It's great to have you on. So now, what? Our next question for you is: How would you describe the relationship between the Salvation Army and amateur radio as it relates to emergency communication needs? Well, the Salvation Army. Uh, Emergency Radio Network, or Saturn, is that part of the Salvation Army's Emergency Disaster Services, or EDS, program uh, that focuses on providing the Salvation Army with auxiliary communications through not only amateur radio, but other forms of communications as well. It's important to remember that all Saturn volunteers are Emergency Disaster Services volunteers who have a specialty in emergency communication show. It's kind of like the Marines. If you're a Marine, you're a rifleman first, and then you do whatever, then you're doing whatever other specialty you've been assigned to, uh, to and trained in. But all Marines are a rifleman first. And it's kind of the same way with the, uh, with the Salvation Army. You're a disaster services volunteer first, and then you do whatever other specialty it is that you've been trained to do, whether it's feeding, or communications, or emotional and spiritual care, or social services, or whatever. All right. Thank you, Bill. <clears throat> now, this question, the third one, and you know, you got all these, so um, it, it relates a little bit back to the other two, but I'm going to ask it again anyway because I think it's a little bit more of a specific question. And um, so, Bill, what role does amateur radio play in the Salvation Army's relief efforts? Well, you know, there's an axiom in emergency management that says that all disasters are local. So when a disaster begins, the first people on scene are the local responders and citizens. And no matter how many other people or organizations may come in later from outside of the community, 
when all those non-local people leave, which they will at some point, it's the local responders and citizens who remain to finish that final work. As I mentioned before, the Salvation Army has a presence in all 3,007 counties in the United States. And each one of those counties has a local Salvation Army unit, whether it's core, which is what we call our churches, or a service center, an all, or an all-volunteer service unit. And each of those local units has its own disaster plan and methods of responding to local emergencies and disasters. That's a long-winded way of saying that the need for amateur radio support will always begin at the local level first, and the form of that support will depend upon the needs of the local Salvation Army and the people it's serving. The local units, in turn, are supported by divisions, and divisions are supported by the ter- four territories in the U.S., and then, uh, and then the territories are supported by national headquarters, which in turn is supported by international headquarters. So, so you have this long chain of support, but it all boils down to that local Salvation Army unit. And, you know, not, not all local areas have a, a Saturn unit or even a disaster services unit, for that matter. Um, and they don't all have uh, local nets. Not all of our divisions have divisional nets. All of our, all four of our territories do have territorial Saturn nets. And there is uh, an international Saturn single sideband and digital net uh, as well that covers the United States, the Caribbean, and Central America. Uh, so all of that support is usually, and all of that support from those larger nets is usually to receive outbound health and welfare messages from an impacted disaster area and to deliver those messages to family outside of the area. What What's done locally really depends upon the local needs of that local unit. So, Bill, how long has Saturn been in operation for? Okay, Saturn was created in 1988. Its very first net was on, was on June 25th of 1988. So last year we celebrated uh, our 30th anniversary. And I got a pin for that. Aw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, was very that's nice. awesome. That was a very nice pin, actually. It was a very nice pin. I actually got it celebrating the 30th anniversary. So I do thank you very much for that. No, you're welcome. As you know, Bill, this this is for brand spanky new hams. And um, and and so it, it seems a little sophomoric to some. And now people are going to listen to this podcast and hopefully they're going to get it more for the Saturn side as opposed to the the uh, the newbie side but for this is directed towards newbies so that's why we're going to ask some of these questions like this Bill what are the roles that newer or less experienced hams can play in these efforts well you know I encourage uh, new hams uh, to do a number of things particularly as related to Saturn um, and the Salvation Army. First of all, I encourage them to register as a local uh, Salvation Army uh, Emergency Disaster Services and Saturn volunteer. They can do that by going to the uh, national EDS website at disaster.salvationarmyusa.org. I'll, I'll repeat that, uh, disaster.salvationarmyusa.org and clicking on the volunteer tab and completing the entire two-step process. And what I mean by a two-step process process is when they click on the tab, 
they're going to fill in their name, uh, their call sign or uh, their name and address and, you know, just really basic contact information along with an email. And then they'll receive an email to verify that they've given a real email address. Um, and then they need to open up their profile and they and complete the remainder of the profile uh, that's in there that will tell us more about who they are, when they're available, what kind of things they're interested in doing. If they're interested in being a Saturn member, it will be a place to put in their call sign and all those sorts of things. So I encourage that first. The next step that I encourage is to become a credentialed EDS volunteer through the local Salvation Army unit. This is going to require some very basic training, a background check, and a photo, which and part of which is part of the profile as well that they'll build. Um, also, as part of the credentialing uh, and training process, they're going to need to, uh, to let the local Salvation Army know that they have registered as an EDS uh, and Saturn volunteer, uh, because a lot of the training that's provided is, is provided locally. Um, and if you run it, if they run into difficulties, they should uh, go to the contact portion on the national EDS website and contact their divisional EDS director for uh, assistance. Uh, but that's what I suggest for uh, New Hams in terms of the Salvation Army and Saturn. All right, cool. And and for our listeners, we will have those links available off our podcast. So for those who are interested in participating in that, you'll be able to just click on that link when you listen to this podcast and go through the process that uh, Bill has spoken of. Now, Bill, because of this, does it help if an individual has other training? And by that, I mean there are two distinct systems. But if someone, say, has Red Cross training, does that help them? when they become part of the Salvation Army and Saturn? Well, I'm a firm believer in two things for anybody who's going to get involved in emergency communications. The first is training. Um, I, I really believe that all amateur radio operators, whether new or those with years and years of experience, need to be engaged in ongoing emergency management and emergency communications training. Um, you know, because you're involved there, you're involved in emergency communications. That also means you're involved with emergency management of some sort. And emergency management has become a profession. Uh, it's very different today than it was, say, pre 9-11. Okay. It has become a profession. Uh, most states, if not all the states, have certification programs for their emergency managers. Um, I've been certified as a professional emergency manager in two states, and as I mentioned uh, earlier, I'm currently nationally certified uh, through the International Association of Emergency Management. Um, so in today's post-9-11 world, people in public service, including emergency management, they insist on working with trained volunteers. The days of showing up at a disaster scene and saying, here I am, I got my license and put me to work. I hate to say it, but those days are over. Uh, they, they've been over for close to 20 years now, and um, if, if not more than that. You've really got to have some training and some connections uh, in order to do that. Uh, there's lots of good online training through FEMA. 
Uh, there's classroom training. There's also some really good training through the nonprofits, uh, such as the Salvation Army, the American Red Cross, the Southern Baptists, and, and a lot of others who've got really good disaster relief training. You folks have uh, a brand, are implementing a brand new online emergency communications training program, which I've not had a chance to look at or take yet. Which, you know, at least from what I've heard of it, sounds pretty good. Um, so, you know, there's all, and then of course there's the uh, U.S. DHS Oxcom training uh, that uh, can occasionally be available in, in local areas, and if that occurs, I encourage people to take that. So. Uh, training is one of the two legs I think that um, new hams uh, really need to develop and stand on. Oh, and thank you very much. And it's kind of funny you mentioned that. But, um, Bill, on your note about just showing up and saying, I'm here, that mm-hmm. is one thing that we've definitely tried to discourage. We, that is correct. We try to inform amateur operators that if they do want to participate in emergency communications of any sort, that they have to go through the training just as you recommend. Otherwise, they're more of a hindrance to the ultimate goal than anything else. I mean, we love the passion. We love that they want to go in there and assist, but there are certain rules. There are certain steps that all amateur have to take who want to participate in these things. So, Thank you very much for mentioning that point. It's a very valid point. Well, and I have to say, you know, it's kind of a personal disclosure. You know, when I first started out in this a long, long time ago, I admit I was one of those um, gung-ho kids who, uh, or, or young people who, who uh, wanted desperately to be involved and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And in many ways, I, I was, like you said, I was more of a hindrance than a help. I got lucky. Our local emergency manager, county emergency manager, uh, where I lived at the time, uh, kind of took me under his wing, recognized that passion to, to do this, and got me involved in emergency management training. That's how I got into emergency management as a profession, uh, was through amateur radio, through the, the, the guidance and mentoring of, of that local uh, emergency manager. And, um, you know, I, I, I always have to thank that that man for um, for having done that because I turned around from that wannabe to that person who actually was um, a, a resource for people to use. And just would you say that's rewarding doing that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely rewarding. Yes. Um, can you give us some description about a uh, communications exercise you've been involved in? Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. okay. See, it's all on the cuff here. No, but I'm, I'm seriously, like, as I said, Michelle and I are, you know, writing back and forth. As you're as you're explaining things, it, it makes us come up with other stuff. So, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, <laughs> get into my vibe. Bill, can you describe to us uh, a recent communications? emergency training that you've been involved in or some similar activity? Oh, the I think probably one of the more recent ones was the National Mass Care Exercise uh, in, uh, I believe it was 2015. It was held uh, at Camp Avery in uh, Austin, Texas. It involved uh, 
National Guard units from around the country, uh, FEMA, uh, of course, Texas Division of Emergency Management, um, the Salvation Army, uh, a lot of different groups. Uh, we brought uh, the Texas uh, Salvation Army Communications Unit out there uh, to uh, test and use their uh, satellite dish. Uh, we also uh, tested uh, doing some uh, health and welfare traffic on the uh, international uh, uh, sideband net, the Saturn sideband net. Um, it was it was a two I'm trying to remember now. I think it was a two day exercise for us. It was I think it was five days overall, but the, the communications portion lasted uh, two days. It was a real good chance for uh, Saturn, particularly in the Texas division, to uh, test out some of their equipment and some of their procedures uh, that they were going to use that they would use in the event of a of a real disaster. All right. Cool. Thank you, Bill. We were all, Michelle, myself, Mike, I mean, a third of the building was involved in Maria. So So a number of us here at ARRL and as well as in the field were involved in Hurricane Maria. Bill, can you explain Saturn's involvement in this? Well, Saturn's primary involvement uh, in a uh, disaster of that magnitude and of that type is to activate uh, the international sideband net and uh, the international digital net uh, to listen for and be a resource for uh, health and welfare uh, messages coming out of a disaster area. We do not do disaster inquiries. In other words, people can't call us and ask us to find, uh, you know, Aunt Jenny in, inside the disaster area and deliver a message to her. We, we simply don't have the resources to do that. But we do accept messages coming out of a disaster area and pass those messages on to family, uh, primarily within the United States. Um, and that's what we did uh, with Maria. We were on in, in that year, we were on for 32 days straight. Wow. 22 of those was for uh, Maria. And it was it was really quite an effort. Uh, we had a lot of good partners. Um, our net control operators started to get a little burned out after a while because yeah. you know they were operating from like uh, ten in the morning or nine in the morning uh, central time to sometimes five, six, seven o'clock whenever propagation died on twenty meters. So you know they were putting extremely long hours. Um, and each net control would only work a couple hours as a rule, but after a while you start to burn through your net, your available net control operators. And uh, a number of good organizations, AWRL, Hurricane WatchNet, uh, Mars, uh, they all stepped uh, stepped up with uh, control operators to uh, help us out and, and give our folks relief. Uh, we handled. Right. I'm working on memory now, um, but we handled about 350 health and welfare messages um, after Maria. Uh, we were also asked to put together a team to go into Puerto Rico, um, and we had we did put a team together, um, but uh, it was shortly after that that, that, that uh, the Salvation Army uh, acquired uh, cell phone or uh, not satellite phones and other. Uh, 
resources and it wasn't necessary for our people to go in after all. I know you folks sent in a bunch of people, uh, 22 if I remember correctly. And in yep. fact, yep. one of our operators went with your group, um, Joe Bassett, um, W1WCN. Um, so he, he went in with the ARRL, but he's all, he was also a, a member of uh, a Saturn. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a very busy time for everybody, uh, in amateur radio. Now, Bill, I know you mentioned helping out from the local level and mm-hmm. for the specific event, being able to go to Puerto Rico. However, when you're operating from the net controls, are people from all around the country doing this or is it one specific area? No, it's people all over the country. Um, the International Saturn Net meets daily uh, on uh, 14.265 at uh, 10 o'clock central. Uh, so you can kind of convert to whatever time zone you're in uh, from there. Um, they will they'll usually start their pre-net about 9.30 and the, the official net starts at 10 and it goes for anywhere from a half hour to an hour depending upon how many uh, check-ins we have. And, and that's every day except Sunday um, that they meet. And it's, it's generally a training net. Uh, we kind of hold that frequency open uh, to do training and the to just do fellowship, to be honest with you. You know, a big part of Saturn is is the fellowship that you, uh, that you get out of it uh, when you're not involved in, um, in disasters. Uh, the other good thing about having a, a set frequency like that is, is that that frequency has become known uh, throughout Central America uh, and the Caribbean is, is one of the places to go to in order to be able to deliver help from welfare traffic. They just they just kind of know it's going to be there, and they show up um, when, when there's been uh, a major catastrophe like Maria uh, or some of, some of the many other hurricanes that we've had over the years. And now a word from our sponsor. Check out LDG's new Balins and Ununs. The RU 9 to 1 Unun matches in-fed long wire antennas to coax, and the RU 1 to 1 Choke helps keep RF out of your shack. All LDG Balins and Ununs are rated to 200 watts PEP and cover from 1 to 30 megahertz for all your HF matching needs. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing advanced quality products to the amateur market. Our focus is on anticipating our customers' needs and providing them with world-class support. Don't forget, LDG products carry a two-year warranty that is fully transferable when you sell it. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. LDG Electronics. Everywhere you look, there's an LDG. Welcome back to So Now What? And um, I, know I was just going to ask about the training. <laughs> so you answered the question for me. Thank you. Perfect. Now, it is it is interesting that during Hurricane Maria, during that time, we were checking into both Saturn. This is W1AW here at Arrow headquarters. Right. We were checking in into the Saturn net as well as the Caribbean net. And kind of on a point you made about messages – we were receiving traffic coming out of the affected area, and they were right. very simple inquiries. Essentially, someone, say in Puerto Rico or even in the other islands that were affected, would send a message saying, this is me, I am okay. And we would send that 
to the individual it was intended to. We would actually call them on the phone. We would identify who we were, how we got the message, and let them know, okay, we received this message from this individual going to this person just to let you know that this person is okay. And we handled a number of those here at W1AW during and we handled a number of these messages during and after Hurricane Maria came through the islands in that whole chain. So it it just shows just how helpful and beneficial it is to have these nets in operation. Yes, I, and, and I agree. Um, that's certainly why we op, uh, you know, activate uh, our nets uh, uh, during disasters. You know, we expand our operation beyond that one-hour training session that we do on a daily basis, and, and we stay open for as long as propagation is open to handle just those kinds of uh, messages. When uh, Whenever there's a Category 3 or higher hurricane um, that is uh, threatening to impact or make a landfall somewhere in the Caribbean or Central America or uh, the continental United States. And that's a valid point. I mean, clearly... Bill, when you visited here, uh, it was almost two years ago, you had with you the emergency response vehicle. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. I think we actually posted some pictures on our webpage of that vehicle, I think. I believe so. Can can you describe that vehicle so our listeners can know just exactly what you have at your disposal to assist with the emergency communications? Okay. Well, and that was a vehicle that when I was employed with the Army, I'm retired now, um, but when I was employed uh, with the Army, that was the vehicle I drove on a daily basis. And um, it was a 2003 Suburban, and we had uh, HF, VHF, UHF, uh, D-Star, uh, our UHF business band, uh, the Salvation Army Disaster Services has uh, two uh, UHF business band frequencies uh, assigned to it um, that we can also use. Um, so it, it came with a, a fairly good set of communications capabilities. Now, in the Southern Territory, which covers the southeastern 15 states of the United States, uh, we have a communications trailer um, which uh, did have a satellite dish on it, and we've moved on to things other than satellite now. Um, but it also had a full complement of HF and VHF, UHF, and so on uh, in it as, as well. Texas has a communications vehicle. Um, the uh, western Michigan, northern Indiana has one. Uh, I'm trying to remember if the Wisconsin division has one. Um, but there are a number of those, uh, number of these communications vehicles that the Salvation Army has in various divisions around the country uh, as well. Now, does that include Winlink? Uh, yes, absolutely. We're a, a big proponent of Winlink, a big proponent of Winlink. And we can include a link, this is going to sound funny, we can include a link to WinLink off this podcast as well if individuals are curious about it. Now, granted, 
if some of our listeners are technicians, they have somewhat limited HF privileges. However, they should be able to run Winlink, especially on 10 meters. So for those who may be interested in participating in this, both with Saturn as well as possibly Winlink, there is further information available as well. You know, we were talking about uh, two legs that uh, I think new hams need to, to have, and we talked about the training. You know, I, I think the other is experience, um, and I, I want to strongly encourage uh, all amateur radio operators uh, uh, to not limit their community service to just emergency communications. And this is particularly true, I think, of, of the new operators. You know, the, the best way to understand the emergency communication needs of a situation or of an organization that you're wanting to be involved with is to have experience in other forms of disaster relief, you know, like mass feeding or product distribution or home rehabilitation uh, and so on. And as one becomes more experienced, they, be, they eventually can become part of the leadership through an incident command team. Okay, one of the most difficult truths I have found for most amateur radio operators to accept is that most disaster relief organizations, including at times the Salvation Army, do not fully understand the value of emergency communications. They've got their cell phones. Their cell phones work 99.999% of the time, and you know they just they, they just can't conceive of never having that cell phone. Um, the unfortunate truth is is that cams uh, who walk into a, a local uh, disaster relief organization, regardless of whether it's the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or the Baptist or whoever, and they walk in with their uh, handheld and tell an organization that they're ready to provide emergency communications, they're going to be greeted very warmly and they're going to be thanked for their offer. And the, But eventually, at some point, they're going to be shown the door and they'll probably ne- never hear from you again. You know, that, that's, that's a sad truth, uh, but, but it's also a it's cold truth, um, but, it's, but it's also the truth. Uh, the better way to become involved with that organization is by discovering what their most urgent needs are, and I guarantee it won't be amateur radio, and then becoming involved with that organization at the point of their need rather than our need as amateur radio operators. By doing that, the organization gets to know that amateur radio operator as an individual and what that individual can do including emergency communications. And it's at that point where the amateur radio operator can then begin to open up a conversation and the organization will be open to listening to a conversation about emergency communications. But you got to get your foot in the door first. And the way you do that is by meeting that organization at the point of their need rather than our need. So I, I encourage our folks to, you know, to be involved with, disaster relief activities outside of amateur radio as well as within amateur radio. Because on that point, Bill, we know that there are many hams out there that are very altruistic. They want to assist whenever they could. That's right. And they want to incorporate amateur radio, which is a very good thing to want to do. But on your point, they have to be well-rounded. 
during Maria when we were tasked with getting amateur operators ready to send down to Puerto Rico, we were asking some significant questions of these individuals, and it wasn't just what kind of radio you have. We were actually looking for, and actually the Red Cross was actually looking for individuals that had some additional training in other fields, like you said, feeding, distribution, uh, health care. If you were, say, a nurse or something, that, that that was actually quite beneficial if you were a nurse or a doctor participating. So... Thank you for mentioning that, in that if, if an individual does want to assist, they have to come in there with many tools in their toolbox, not just a radio. That's, that's absolutely correct. Um, my first uh, assignment with the Salvation Army as an employee was to be the disaster director for Minneapolis-St. Paul, and I did that for about six and a half years. About a fourth of my volunteer disaster team in the Twin Cities was made up of amateur radio operators and Saturn operators. Um, they very rarely used their amateur radio skills. Uh, they were much more likely to be driving a canteen, which was one of our mobile feeding kitchens, uh, and, and serving hot food and drinks and that sort of thing, you know, from that feeding vehicle, you know, fires, hazardous materials uh, incidents and SWAT team uh, actions and, uh, oh, my goodness, we, we even did a forest fire once uh, there. So, yeah, that was that was what they did much more often than using their amateur radio skills. Um, but there were times when they did need to use their amateur radio skills and, and they were put to work. Uh, but it was because the Salvation Army know, knew who these people were. They trusted them. And they were open to having them do other things. Now, I'm sure some of our listeners who have been listening to the podcast and saying to themselves, but what does this have to do with hurricanes? Because, well, this was the hurricane episode, as we called it. And for those of you who are listening and asking yourself that question, what Bill was describing and discussing, actually, when you think about it, deals with a hurricane-style response where emergency communications is required as well as amateur radio. So for those who want to get interested in it, heed what Bill has been talking about, about the training, cross-training if necessary, learning other aspects of assisting and volunteering. Because there may come a time where there will be a hurricane. We know there will be hurricanes. We know they're going to be powerful. We know they're going to be damaging. I don't want to mention all the other bad things that go along with it, but they know what happens. So if you wish to participate in this form of communications for a hurricane or even tornado or anything else like that, get that training because someday you will need it. But again, also make yourself well-rounded. Well, you know, and I've always come, for, uh, particularly in the disaster relief field, um, my experience has been, um, you know, you, you have your, let's say, your, your, your single family house fire and you show up and you serve a few hot dogs and some coffee uh, to the firefighters and to the survivors of the house fire. You know, a hurricane uh, with a, an entire a city or a big part of a city or, or area uh, wiped out and impacted by a hurricane, 
what you're doing in that hurricane is no different from what you're doing at that single family house fire. You're just doing a whole lot more of it and there's a whole lot more of you doing it. But what you are doing is essentially the same thing. You're still feeding, you're still serving hydration, you're still talking with people or in the, it, with amateur radios, you're still communicating. Um, it, it, you're, you're doing the same thing regardless of the size or magnitude of the disaster. You're just doing a lot more of it in a large disaster. Bill, what would you recommend is the best way for newer and less experienced hams to get involved in emergency communication? Well, you know, I always encourage new amateur radio operators to become involved in their local amateur radio club. You know, it's these clubs that generally do mo the most in the local community to provide public service opportunities for amateur radio operators. Again, all disasters are local. And so it's this, it's these local amateur radio clubs are going to get called on first, uh, to, uh, through any one of a number of uh, organizations they may be affiliated with to provide emergency communications. In addition to Saturn, there are a number of organizations that are always looking for volunteers uh, at the local level, including the, the ARRL's uh, Amateur Radio Emergency Service or ARIES program, uh, the National Weather Service's Skywarn program, county or state government RACES program, and there are other organizations, primarily uh, not all of which are on HF, such as the Hurricane WatchNet, the VoiceOver IP WeatherNet, which is primarily a VHF UHF uh, organization, by the way. And there are many others. Um, so this is a way for them to become involved at that local level where it all starts and where it all ends. And they can get additional experience involved Absolutely. as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is this is where most of their experience will come from. So, Bill, we would like to thank you very much for appearing on our podcast today and for all the very good information. And as a reminder, the links that you had mentioned, we are going to include those on the podcast. And if our listeners have any questions, as always, they can just email them to us and uh, we'll try to get them an answer. Yeah, thanks, Bill. We really appreciate you being on the show. You're very welcome. I appreciated the opportunity, and uh, I wish good luck to all those new hams that are uh, listening to this. So, uh, seven threes, folks. Seventy-three, Bill, and thanks very much. Seventy-three. All right. As always, if you have a question and want a chance of it being answered on the show, send an email to so now what at arrl dot org or go to our webpage www.arrl.org forward slash so now what and submit your question under the so now what listener form don't forget to also rate and review so now what on whatever platform you're listening to us on we love getting your questions feedback and suggestions until next time on so now what 73 <laughs> So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, 
Email us at so now what at awrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash so now what. This program is copyright of the AWRL and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Serena Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the AWRL. Thanks for listening.